0: Hello, fellow Anglophiles, and welcome to Anglophilia. I'm Kaylee
1: McMahon. I'm Stephanie Callis. And this week, we are going to be talking about... The Young Ones! Yay! Yes, The Young Ones was created by Rick Mayall, Lisa Mayer, and Ben Elton. It ran from 1982 to 1984 on BBC2. It starred Nigel Planer as Neil, Christopher Ryan as Mike, Rick Mayall as Rick, and Adrian Edmondson as Vivian. They are four college students living together. You forgot Alexi. I didn't forget Alexi. Alexi is not a student. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay, sorry.
1: There are four college students living together in um, various houses, really. Several of them get blown up. And their landlord is played by Alexei Sale who is the Bolofsky family.
0: And others, he plays many roles.
1: All of these actors were part of the alternative comedy scene and they were then all picked up in a TV show called Boom Boom, Out Go the Lights. That show started getting a little bit more traction. BBC people were interested. Eventually Rick and his then girlfriend, Lisa Mayer had this idea for a show and they wrote a weird pilot that didn't really make much sense. So they brought in Ben Elton to give it a little bit of structure, and a little bit of structure he did give it. And um, we're left with this incredible television show that I love very much and again, I I wait to talk about.
0: <laughs> the thing that you say about structure reminds me of a quote. This is actually from a book about Blackadder. Jumping ahead, I'm doing my research for next week. Um, but the producer of Blackadder was talking about how he had seen the script of The Young Ones, Quote, and this thing arrived, you know, covered in marmite stains and half written in pencil and full of Ben Elton's terrible spelling, and I could not make head nor tail of it. It was full of brilliant ideas, but so incompetently put together, you'd think, well, if I did this, I'd just try and structure it, make it neat. And that would have destroyed it, really. (laughs) I think that that makes sense. I think that so much of the show's charm is its complete unpredictability and the fact that it is constantly breaking rules and it is just the product of limitless, childlike imagination, in a way, and trying to impose some sort of structure on it absolutely would have killed its completely unique spirit.
1: What did Ben Elton say in that documentary that we both watched? He said, sure, it's a sitcom. There are characters all in a location,
0: and there's a situation. That's all you really need. Yep, they're in a house, and they're sitting on a couch. Like, what more do you want?
1: Yeah, so you had these energetic, young, experimental comedians, and they thought, why not? They were also told, don't worry about budget. And I love that they got a slightly larger budget when they decided to include live music during all of the episodes, because that got them in the variety show category.
0: Watching it this week has been so much fun. And I've just been tickled pink by seeing all of these amazing gags that work just as well as they did, you know, 10 and also 30 years ago. But Full disclosure, I've actually been a little bit nervous to talk about it because it's like, you know, how do you catch a wave upon the sand? How do you describe a show like The Young Ones? It's so completely... (laughs) It's maybe the weirdest show I've ever seen or at least the weirdest show I've ever loved. Do you agree with that?
1: I don't disagree with that.
0: There are other shows that have maybe just as weird content, but the structure is pretty traditional. Like the form is, is usually pretty expected, but this just goes off in so many crazy directions that you would never think. Right. Like the end of Bambi, which is one of my favorite episodes, where they get crushed by a giant declare.
1: Well, that might be a good way to sort of ease in to this topic, because I don't know who's listening who's actually seen The Young Ones, so...
0: God, I hope everybody... We, we told you last week that you should watch it.
1: Okay, well, maybe not everyone's been swatting away Fatisha like a total <laughs> spasmo. But we have to describe it in order to discuss it. So whether people have seen it or not, it's like, on the surface, yes, you have the four guys living in a house and you've got their landlord who crashes in. But you also have puppets and you have teddy bears and you have... Uh, People spying on them from across the street who believe they're looking at aliens. And you have wicked witches who live next door and you have ghosts who come out of nowhere.
0: And you have rotting vegetables singing bluesy song numbers in the fridge and other vegetables ice skating on a plate. And yeah, flies on the wall. They go to Mars at some point or the moon. They go to hell.
1: And it's not that the show is about the vegetables dancing and the vegetables singing and rotting and the the things that live in the broom closet, you know, having a conversation about the masters coming down to beat us, but they do ultimately have so much screen time that You're really kind of stuck with it. It's not always a two-second cutaway. Sometimes it's a couple minutes. And it's not always great for that cutaway to, to happen. Sometimes it is a little bit aggravating.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you bring that up. And honestly, I'm mostly glad that Ben Elton brought it up in the documentary that we both watched because that makes me feel more comfortable criticizing it myself. That's probably my least favorite element of the show. Sometimes they are really good, and some of the cutaway gags are so funny and perfect, but usually that will depend on their length. I think the longer something goes on, the less patience I have for it. Yeah. mean, we were talking about some of our favorite ones. Uh, there's the guy who, who eats the fish tank.
2: That's perfection. I've just been around my neighbor's house to borrow a drill, but he wasn't in. <laughs> <laughs> So I broke in an 80s fish tank, and I wasn't even hungry. You won't catch me with me trousers.
1: That was the episode that introduced me to the show, and I think it was that cutaway that really sold me on the show. There's so much good stuff in that episode, but it was the cutaway to that weird monologue that made me go, oh, I get this. This is me. I love that cutaway. I love the Alexi Sale cheese shop. That is one of my favorite Alexi moments.
2: <laughs> Excuse me, is this a cheese shop? No, sir. Well, that's knocked knackered then, innit?
0: We first watched this in our little Britcom club when we were 15 or 16 years old, and I actually hadn't rewatched it at all since then, because here's the fucking bummer news, is that you can't get it on DVD on region one unless you're willing to spend like $200 to $500, which maybe some of you out there are. I envy you, your disposable income. Wait, what? I looked into this, yeah. I wanted to be able to actually properly purchase this rather than just streaming the videos that are on YouTube because I like to financially support the art that I love, but it's just not really available anywhere and I don't understand why. So, you know, I didn't really watch this between my teenage years and now. And what's funny about that is that it's, you know, it's called The Young Ones. And as a kid, you know, they all seemed old because they were like these proper grown-ups you know these these 20 something people and like Mike was 33 so he didn't actually ever really seem that young and still doesn't even as I approach his real life age. Does not at all. (laughs) No not at all but it's funny to then you know to now be in my 30s and look back and say oh yeah of course they were all babies (laughs) except for Mike and there is such a youthful vibe and energy to the show and it's partly because of those you know those random cutaways that we were talking about before and how Unencumbered, this show seems like you said, they didn't really have any budget restraints. The producer very explicitly said, Write what you want and let me worry about the budget. There's something that's so, yeah, youthful is really the best word to describe it. I- I'm still kind of stuck on what you said about the DVDs, though. <laughs> I know, I'm with you on everything you just said,
1: and I think it's important that I bring this up because Rick Mayall's no longer with us, he passed away in 2014. and. In the aftermath of that, though, I bought a bunch of, of Rick Mayall stuff, including the Young Ones collection
0: on DVD called Every Stupid Episode. And I don't think I paid 200 bucks for it. Well, you got it at the right time. But now I guess it's, it's like maybe out of print or something. I just know that I looked for it online and it was nowhere. Okay. Except for a fuck ton of money. Damn. That I don't have.
1: It's funny, though, that we talk about how... The, the character of Mike in particular, or maybe not even just the character of Mike, but Christopher Ryan. We talk about how how much older they looked when we were kids and even now,
0: not just looked but seemed especially him. Yeah,
1: especially him. But um, we're just so infantilized now. Oh, yeah. Everything that we're kind of exposed to is less and less intelligent and more and more formulaic. That I do kind of wonder if one of the reasons why they seemed so much older to us is because what they were doing was so out there. And while plenty of it was cutaways kind of, of talking flies and rotting tomato vegetables, or I guess tomatoes are fruit. I was going to say, you know what I mean? Like this waddy little. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's okay. Um, But with the references to politics and how they're angry about politics and there are issues and they're going to make jokes about the issues. I kind of wonder if that's maybe another reason why they just seemed so much older was because they were plugged into something that were kind of not allowed to be plugged
0: into. Interesting, How, how do you mean not allowed to be plugged into?
1: When you think about what we're given, you know, we're given the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory is not going to make you question anything. The way that a teenager watching the young ones in the 80s might have then begun to question things.
0: If you were a creationist, it might make you question something. No, I'm just I'm just being facetious. That's that's fair. (laughs) That's completely true. Okay. Yeah, I think that also it just means such a different thing to be a 20 something now than it did in the 80s. People who were in their 20s, young though they were, were definite grown-ups. Same thing with like, if you even just watch Friends, which was 10 years later, they all seemed older than me now, even though they were like 24. In real life? The characters, they were like 24 to 26, maybe. <laughs> Your Stephanie is making an incredible face right now. And she's frozen on our Google Hangout. So this is kind of remarkable. <laughs> but yeah, I think that We have a sort of delay, an extended adolescence through a variety of socioeconomic factors that we've all read a billion think pieces about how much people hate millennials. So we don't need to rehash all that on this podcast. But it is interesting what it means to be young now versus what it meant to be young then. Oh, you're back. Oh, I was just recording a whole thing. You'll hear it later. Oh, yeah, I I lost you for a little while sorry. No, no worries. Well, since we were talking about how old Mike seemed, is that a good segue to talk about the characters? Yes. So who who do we start with?
1: Well, I think we should start with Rick and Neil, even though they're separate people. <laughs> Let's go Rick and Neil. Well,
0: they are the first two characters that we see. And I think it's no secret that I mean, they are certainly our favorites. <laughs>
1: yes, it's no secret that they're our favorites, Kaylee. <laughs> Everyone
0: knows. <laughs> I mean, it's no secret between you and me. I mean, they they should know. Well, my mom said something kind of mean about Mike when I was talking to her about the show. She said, if I met somebody that Mike was their favorite character of the Young Ones, I would run. So I'm not saying that I would do that, but I kind of understand her point because truly I think that Rick and Neil especially are the heart of the show. I think that it wouldn't work without the entire foursome. And actually I said some sort of shady things about Mike a couple weeks back on the Faulty Towers episode, uh, talking about how difficult it is to find a funny straight man. And watching it this time around did make me reassess things. It, you It wouldn't work if you just lifted him out. And he does have some really great moments. I think that he is... Well, first of all, I think it also bears mentioning that Christopher Ryan was actually the only one of these actors who didn't come from that alternative comedy scene. So... Even though he is funny and he does do a good job, I think he just has the misfortune of being the weakest link in an incredibly strong chain. Yeah. That is, of course, headed by the inimitable Rick. Like, yeah, he's just the perfect character.
1: Rick is fantastic. Rick is just the pissed off, wannabe anarchist college kid who we all knew and I think that for a little bit I was. Every time you see him reading his stupid Karl Marx but you know that he's just (laughs) doing it so that someone can see him reading Karl Marx.
0: Oh sure he's a delightful poser.
1: He is. He'll he'll talk about revolution and anarchy but then the second that there's any like threat of punishment he'll go back on all of it and say it was everybody else it wasn't me and um. No absolutely. The very first time that you see him, he's dancing to the theme song sung by Cliff Richard. <laughs> and he says, it's a shame about Cliff Richard. And Neil says, what about Cliff Richard? And the way Rick just goes, what? I was watching it this last time and I went, okay, that's me. That was me at age <laughs> 19 or 20. Like if somebody said something ignorant about Bob Dylan, that was me. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> just like so stupid and embarrassing and then oh, yeah. poor neil is this depressed hippie that is the only person who ever tries to cook or clean or do anything yeah. nice for anybody and he's just repeatedly abused
0: oh you know what actually did you ever read the dr seuss book oh say can you say it was a book of tongue twisters I don't know there's this one poem I don't remember how the whole thing goes but look it up it's great the picture is a bunch of creatures maybe they're birds or something you know Seuss like in that vein and they're all balancing acrobatically on top of one person and it describes all of the creatures and their names and they all rhyme of course because it's Dr. Seuss and then it says and down at the bottom is poor little Ludd and if Lud ever sneezes his name will be mud And like, Neil is Lud, Everyone is just balancing on top of him and they just give him constant shit despite the fact that he's the only one who even tries to keep house. He's so sweet. Yeah. I'm definitely Neil out of these four. Okay. That seems like a really vain thing for me to say after you've just said he's so sweet. But I did take a quiz, so it is official. I'm Neil. I think that I'm Neil with shades of Rick in the same way that if we're talking Breakfast Club, I'm definitely Brian with shades of Allison. Okay. I think that I think that everybody can be broken down into two or three breakfast club characters. Oh, I hope not. I never bonded with the breakfast club. That makes you what's his name? I forgot his name. Bender. <laughs> I don't know. But back to the show that we're actually talking about. Back
1: to the show we're actually talking about. We touched on the duality of Mike. Do we keep him or do we lose him? Do we like him or do we not? And he's Mike the cool person. So he never gets to get worked up over anything the way the other three do. He's not vulnerable. No, he's he's not vulnerable, but he also doesn't he doesn't get happy either. He doesn't get anything. It's very one note and it's not it's not a terrible note. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, I made um A note. Uh, It it literally says like Mike colon. I can't tell if I'm completely indifferent or actually really attracted. Really. (laughs) And I'm I'm admitting that to you for the first time, and I'm admitting it to everybody. Oh my god, you're a closeted
0: Mike fan. I should run away, according to my mom. (laughs) But Kaylee, I think it bears repeating that I can't tell. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) I get that some people can exist within that gray area. Yeah. Yeah, it goes back to what I was saying in the Faulty Towers episode about the American remakes and how cool all of those protagonists are. And the definition of cool is someone who doesn't care about anything. And so that means that stuff just kind of washes over him. And he does, it can be funny, some of the things that he says, and he, he does have some really good moments. But for me, people who get just really worked up, really bothered by things. I mean, you said that he's one note. I mean, Neil is also very one note, but my God, I am just living for that note. I could watch him just say, hello, and like be so depressed and suicidal and walk into a room and just bring everybody down with his negative vibes forever. Ever, like on a loop. But Neil is
1: reacting to the world around him, whereas Mike just isn't.
0: That's true. Mike
1: comes in and gives kind of a weird sort of like vaudevillian joke, whereas Neil, you know, is depressed the entire time, but he gets scared, he gets excited, he gets, you know, this and that, but Mike does not.
0: No, that's true. I mean, I think that emotionally there are more shades, I think, within him. I think Vivian is maybe the second most one note of all of these But again, I really do enjoy the note. He's very funny. He's very, very funny. I was very tickled by him, especially as a kid. And I think that he has maybe one of the greatest television entrances of all time in the pilot when he just comes crashing through the wall onto the breakfast table. That's that's epic. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, I love that Vivian is the -the over-the-top, punk stereotype who just smashes things and is impervious to to physical violence of any kind. And And it's
0: terrifying that he's a med student. He's a med student.
1: Um, (laughs) But I love that in the pilot, Rick says the word Woodstock and then Vivian crashes through a wall because it's like... Punk rock has arrived, and we're gonna knock down the structure of the peace and love movement. It's 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 like Woodstock is is the word that he comes and interrupts, like with smashing things. And no, it's true. It satirizes this youth culture and the punk movement, while also very much living in that world and being being a product of it. Yeah,
0: and celebrating it. And celebrating
1: it, yeah, while being able to have a sense of humor about it. And totally. it's really masterful.
0: They have their cake and eat it too. And the cake also sings a song about it or like has sex with another cake.
1: <laughs> Speaking of which, I did take your advice and I did not type young ones porn into Google. What I typed instead was, <laughs> is there a porn parody of the young ones?
0: All right. And was there? I'm assuming. No. Yeah. If they don't even have an American DVD release, I think a porn parody is even less likely. Gosh. I know. I'm so... We should start a petition. My God, I'm so pissed. Um, back to the characters, though. I'm going to list them in ascending order of emotional complexity. Okay. There's Mike, who's very one note. There's Vivian, who's maybe one and a half notes. There's Neil, who's, who's several. And then there's Rick, who... Because of – there's a very clear pecking order in the house, which I really, really love and which is so accurate for any sort of high school or college clique or living situation – you can usually tell, like, who's at the bottom, who's the LUD, basically. Yeah. And so, you know, Mike is the alpha, and Vivian is his lapdog, and then there's Rick, and then there's Neil, and everybody's dumping on Neil. But when Neil isn't around, then Rick is the one who gets picked on. And sometimes even when Neil is, like, when they get their exam results in the final episode, then there's a little status switch there. And that's what's mm-hmm. so interesting, is that he's the only one who, <laughs> it's like... It's like Mike and Viv are doms. Neil's definitely a sub, but Rick is a switch. So it's, he has multiple ways of interacting with the others. Yeah, it's true. He also reminds me of, um, you know, in in high school, how sophomores are just so relieved to not be freshmen anymore that they pick on the freshmen way more than seniors who are just like so beyond giving a shit. Mike's a senior and... And Rick is a sophomore. Oh,
1: God, you're comp- dumping on the poor little freshman. You're completely right about that. I, I would say that in the case of Rick, he's almost even like a seventh grader picking on a sixth grader. Oh, yeah. And maybe, again, that's because I identify with Rick. <laughs> is it because I don't think I. Picked on anybody in in high school? I don't know if I even looked at anybody a certain way, but in but in middle school, did you pick on somebody in middle school? I didn't pick on anybody, but if anybody looked at me the wrong way, I was like, "What the fuck are you looking at? Fuck you!" Like I loved I loved saying the f word at at people who
0: looked at me the wrong way. Oh man, I didn't swear until my senior year of high school. I was such a little goody fucking two shoes. Oh my goodness! How far I've come. I know. I
1: think that. I developed a foul mouth because my tits grew in, and I didn't know what to do about it, so I hid them and said "fuck." A oh my lot.
0: god! If if if, if <laughs> memory development is directly proportional, that completely explains my lack of foul language until I was seventeen. <laughs> That's really. Maybe we could get someone to do a scientific study about
1: this. Well, your hormones are going insane, and I was not sexually precocious. So I had oh I had God. all of these new feelings, and its I wasn't like, I look so cute. I was like, I look weird. Fuck everybody.
0: <laughs> anyway. Okay, oh, wait. Speaking of being sexually precocious, that actually takes me to a fantastic Rick moment that I want to talk about is... There's a moment in the episode Time where he wakes up in a bed next to Jennifer Saunders, (laughs) mistakenly believing that he has slept with her the night before, but doesn't remember it. And then, of course, it is later revealed that he didn't. She was just sleeping in his bed. But he is so proud of having lost his virginity while he thinks that he has. And it is so funny because that's something that... That really struck me, like you said, once you've gone through college, you can recognize, oh, I know every single one of these characters. And there's something so truthful and so funny about people who have recently become sexually active being really, really damn pleased with themselves and sort of lording it over the rest of us. I remember in college, there was such a clear line dividing the virgins and the non-virgins in all of my friend groups. And it was really weird. I remember one of my friends actually compared it to like, how the sexually active members of our friend group, it was like they had a badge that they would periodically flash, where they'd be like, Oh, I'm I'm more sophisticated and worldly and grown up than you because I've had sex. And like, I think I knew even at the time that it was bullshit. But as a virgin, I felt so bad about myself because of that there was such a weird shame and stigma even though it's just completely random, like everybody is ready at different times. It's the luck of the draw, whether you find an appropriate partner that you would even want to be with. I hope that if we have any young listeners or old listeners who are virgins and hope not to be someday, hang in there. It totally doesn't matter or define you. I hope that you don't put as much stupid stock in it as we did or as the members of the house and the young ones did. I appreciate you pointing it out because you know it it is funny how you know
1: when when young people become sexually active it's like okay hopefully hopefully they're taking care of everything and being responsible or whatever but they the way they then handle it it just proves whether or not they were actually ready to do what they
0: did because the way that seriously yeah you didn't invent it guys no you've been, calm down you've been having sex for five minutes chill the fuck yeah. out yeah
1: and so if rick were actually mature enough to handle sex with a grown woman when he goes in to get tea for him and jennifer saunders he would have just like quietly gotten two mugs of tea but the way he just stands yeah. there like i need two mugs of tea isn't it strange it's adorable yeah.
0: <laughs> it's so it's so funny but, but he's
1: also just doesn't have the emotional maturity to either leave it or to just say i have a guest and walk away it's like he wants someone to ask him
0: he's beating around the bush it's hilarious Oh my God. And then I love, I love when he's describing it. It's kind of like, you know, obviously many years later, the 40 year old virgin came out, but there's when Steve Carell has the bag of sand line, when Neil is saying like, describe what it was like in vivid detail. And he says,
2: you know, it was sort of, you know, no, I don't. Sort of. Sexy.
0: (laughs) That's just the best, that's the best possible (laughs) vague description of what intercourse is like. I love that.
1: At one point, she even took her bra off.
0: (laughs) Oh, God. And they're all so, they're all so delighted to hear it. And also in the episode Nasty, which I know is another one of our favorites, they're all you know, slinging around the term virgin like it's a slur, like it's a really shameful, dirty thing to be and accusing one another of this. But but it's so, it so doesn't matter. And it's really funny to watch it now with the perspective of being an adult who is fortunately beyond that obsessive phase of my youth mm-hmm. where where that actually did define how important a person you were in a, in a certain setting. Well, yeah,
1: in high school, in Nasty, they're calling each other sissy virgin. And I took the laugh track... Response to mean oh it's funny if you're a sissy virgin because that's a bad thing to be but now it's like oh no this is funny because everyone's just a dork
0: oh no absolutely there's the the adult perspective it's this is one of the many shows I think that every show that we're discussing on this podcast in our first season is something that grows with you and you'll find different things to be funny at different age there it'll have different meanings as you get older mm-hmm. and that's certainly one
1: yeah well and with Rick being this you know bullshit like limousine socialist or champagne socialist whatever it's called uh, this <laughs> this this social justice warrior who just also is just as bad as everybody else it's privileged liberals that we know, you know, today and that yeah. and that we knew in college. But formative um, allyship. I yeah. love when he calls himself a feminist. <laughs> it's
0: like, oh, oh my God, finally I finally said I... it. You finally said it. And then I love also in, in that same thing when he's talking about being able to score with I mean forge meaningful relationships with birds. I mean tarts. I mean women. It's uh because the fact is even the men who do consider themselves good guys, or even the the white people who consider themselves allies to people of color you know, we do, we do fuck up, and we do have these biases that are very difficult to overcome. God damn it, he's trying, and it's funny to see him try and fail. <laughs> oh, man, that actually reminds me of a, of a visual analogy that I thought of. I think that Rick's spirit animal is a cat. Okay. Like, you know how you'll see a YouTube video of a cat where they try to jump up onto a piece of furniture that's too high, and they miss, and then they, they fall down, and they try to maintain their dignity, and they're like, no, oh, I meant to do that. That's exactly... What Rick is. He's always jumping too high and falling down. And it's funny to watch people fall down, both literally and metaphorically.
1: Yeah. And then I think one of the best Neil moments is actually one of the best Rick moments in that episode, Nasty, which is like, a, it's, <laughs> it's like, a spe- it's a, I know it's, it's a special <laughs> Halloween episode where <laughs>
0: I can't even keep talking. <laughs> I love this show too damn much. It's
1: a special Halloween episode where Viv and Mike have gotten their hands on a VCR and a couple of video nasties, and they're gonna stay up all night watching violent porn together, essentially. But there's a great moment where Neil comes downstairs and
2: he's just wearing a dress. Everybody in the house, listen to me, because I have actually got something to tell you all, which I think you're gonna find really interesting. (laughs) Neil, why are you wearing that dress? That's the thing I've got to tell you all about. Well, Neil, we don't want to know. Yes, yes. Who wants to hear about a silly old dress? Well, I do. I'm wearing this dress right because some really selfish negative vibe merchant has boarded up my bedroom. So like, well, that's that sorted out. Now let's get back to the video, shall we? So, like, I couldn't get any of my own clothes right, which I, like, really needed because I was, like, nude. And so I went into Rick's bedroom, right, and, like, all I could find there clothes-wise, right, was this dress. (laughs) Ah. Um... (laughs) Ha ha ha. Oh, oh, oh! So you've taken to snooping around other people's bedrooms, have you, Neil? Grubbing about and planting evidence of transvesticism so as to topple me from my position of most popular member of the flat. Well, it won't work. I've never seen that dress before in my life. Well, it's got your name tag in it, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, look, it's not mine. It's not mine. What would I want with the dress? It's not. Look, I've got money here. Take money here.
0: Everything about that is so funny. Also, can we just talk about moments that make us laugh every time? Because there are so many on this show. Okay. I never don't laugh at certain points. When I watched Bambi, which is another one of my favorite episodes, when it just cuts to them on University Challenge and they're sitting in a row, scumbag, Stephanie's doing the dance for me right now and I'm giggling. (laughs) I had to rewind that like five times because I was laughing too hard and also because I wanted to see it again and to watch each one of them individually. If there were a way to make, like, a Harry Potter tattoo, like a GIF tattoo that was constantly in motion, I would probably get that on my arm despite my fear of needles, just to cheer me up whenever oh, I could look that at That is it.
1: such a brilliant idea, gift tattoo. God, I wish. Someday. That'd be great. <laughs> no, that that moment always makes me laugh. Um, Kills me. So Bambi is the episode where they've been picked to go on University Challenge, but they've lost an entire day because only Neil had this information and no one would let him get a word in Edgewise. So they go <laughs> on a laundromat or a laundrette, sorry, adventure. Yes. And then Neil remembers Oh, oh! I, I remembered what I had to tell you. And he says, we've been picked to go on University Challenge tonight. And it's one of my favorite musical numbers they have, because they have fucking Motorhead. But it's also one of the best transitions, because he says, we've been picked to go on University Challenge. And Viv stands up and says, to the station. And Mike goes <laughs> music, and then they run out. The part that always yeah. makes me laugh is when they're all on that, like, Bellhop's baggage carrier, and <laughs> Vivian is sitting in the front of it going. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> If there's anything we're describing that's not a line of dialogue, we should we should try to share the images
0: because oh, oh my yeah. god. Cuz yeah. like the delivery of these fine <laughs> actors <laughs> delivering this sublime dialogue is but half the picture because the the physicality and the visual gags like it's oh. Fucking love this show, man. It's so good.
1: I I thought of another one. It's an Alexi Sale moment. We haven't even talked about him. We haven't talked about him very much, but in each episode, when Alexi Sale barrels in as, as one person or another, they would actually just kind of leave a blank couple seconds or minutes or whatever in the script so that Alexi could come in and fill it in with whatever he was working on at the time but in Nasty I think it's one of his better episodes because he is delivered wrapped up as a parcel and he is a vampire and he, he, he then <laughs> pursues them and I think that that's the other best musical numbers when they have the damned and during the musical number alexi sale is pursuing them and he's pretending like I- i'm not a vampire i'm a driving instructor from johannesburg but i laugh every time he does his little speech about how he's not a sellout and then he sells the pot noodles mm-hmm. i love that moment
0: that's a very good alexi episode for me okay so confession time this this may shock you but so i haven't seen this since i was 16 and when i was watching it again this week I was surprised when I was watching the credits, I was like, there's a fifth guy. <gasps> I straight up forgot that he was even in the show. What? Which I feel bad about, but I I totally had no memory of him. And I was talking to my parents about this show, and my dad also had no memory of him. To be fair, my dad has a worse memory than I do, and also probably hasn't seen it in like 30 years but yeah, it is it is weird that he left so little impression because truly he is very liftable. And I think that one of the reasons that his appearance in Nasty is so successful is that he's an integral part of the plot. And it's kind of the same thing that you were saying about the best musical numbers are the ones that are used to tell the story or to push it forward as a montage. And that's kind of how I feel about, about him and about musical stuff in general. Like, you know that I'm a big musical theater fan and writer, and so... I really like music when it is so ingrained in the story that if you were to lift it out, the story would not make sense and the song would not make sense. I don't really like, you know, just pop songs sprinkled in for no real reason. And I feel kind of the same way about many of Alexi's appearances. He has some funny moments, but it's sort of like the cutaway gags where I'll forgive it if it's Either necessary or if it's short. But like, if he's just kind of going on a random five-minute monologue, I'm like, no, I don't care. I want to. I want to see the four guys. Right. Sorry.
1: It's true. The the best Alexi moments are definitely the the Doctor Martin's boot song in Oil.
0: Yes, that's a great one.
1: And his vampire driving instructor from Johannesburg thing in in Nasty. And yes. And a very short. Oh, go for it. Are we yeah, thinking so of the same it, thing? <laughs>
0: Okay, in the opening of Time, when they do this this weird homage to <laughs> Dallas that uh, that turns out to be Neil's dream, uh, from which he wakes and goes, oh no, at his, you know, discovering his reality. Um, he's just got a little opening credits where it says, Alexi Sale is Joan Collins, and he's wearing these <laughs> stockings and heels, and it's perfect. It's so... Understand it in a way, but also so over the top and silly. But is, isn't he also sitting at a bar and he just like swivels
1: around and like dumps a bottle of champagne in his lap or something? Yeah, totally.
0: Like <laughs> with, a, with a completely deadpan face, that made me laugh really, really hard. I think that he's a funny guy. I just think that the the tone of his comedy doesn't always fit in with the tone of the rest of the show, and I just find that a little bit jarring. I think that you can really tell. I mean, obviously, like, they all have their roots in live comedy, but I think that his roots are the most evident and I think translated maybe the least well to the screen. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that maybe his is a style of humor that worked better live. Because a lot of things, as I said, I have a musical theater background, I know that there are certain things that work fantastically well in the room with live energy from a live audience that just lose a little bit of their magic on the screen. And I, I want to say that that's maybe part of what this is, in addition to him being sort of a, a square peg in a round hole.
1: To his credit, Kaylee, I don't think that he would disagree with anything that you just said. It's funny that you pick up on exactly what he was worried about because he did not have the same enthusiasm for wanting to make the show as, you know, Rick did obviously being, being one of the co-creators, and he said like, you know, I didn't really want to be stuck doing like one character and come to be known mm-hmm. as, as one character. And then, you know, the fact that he didn't even have dialogue that he necessarily had to memorize kind of shows what his commitment to it was. And yeah. also on the Boom Boom Out Go Lights show, which Mm -hmm. preceded The Young Ones. They talked in that documentary about how the show really kind of didn't work because it was meant to be material that was seen live. So it was like they were giving it their all and it was their best stuff, but it just didn't work on TV. And so I wonder if maybe the experience of that show being underwhelming informed Alexi's decision to be like well I'll be half committed to this because I don't know hmm. how well it's going to work for me.
0: That would make sense. And it
1: shows you're right although I also I also like him in Flood when he drinks the Coca-Cola. Oh yeah. And he becomes an
0: axe-wielding homicidal maniac. Well again it's because he's part of the plot mm-hmm. and it's so beautifully set up with the line.
2: It's a potion I've invented where when a patient drinks it he turns into an axe-wielding homicidal maniac. It's basically a cure for not being an axe-wielding homicidal maniac. The potential market's enormous. Well, is this it? Yeah, yeah, I put it in a Coke can so nobody drink it by mistake. <laughs> you know, I just bet a bit later on somebody does drink that and turns into an axe-wielding homicidal maniac. Yes, I bet that as well. That's just a sort of crazy, imaginative thing that happens around here,
1: isn't
0: it? It's really fun when they get really meta about the sitcom world that they're living in. Yeah. Kind of like Father Ted, but to a way stronger degree. Well, yeah, you called,
1: um, you called Father Ted Brechtian, and I, I kind of love that we are now talking about maybe the ultimate I mean, yeah. Brechtian sitcom. Forget Father sitcom. Ted. <laughs>
0: And then also there's that great moment in Sick when Neil's parents come to visit and it gets the most meta that it's ever gotten where the mother, first of all, starts smashing furniture, (laughs) which is just great. And then starts talking about how she's so embarrassed that her son is doing the young ones and why couldn't he be part of a nice pleasant sitcom like The Good Life. And then Vivian has that fantastic rant against The Good Life.
2: Is so bloody nice, Felicity <laughs> Treacle-Kendall and Richard, sugar-flavoured snot bars. What do I do now? Chocolate bloody butt nuts, that's what! They're nothing but a couple of reactionary stereotypes, confirming the myth that everyone in Britain is a lovable middle-class eccentric! And I hate them! It <laughs> was a highly articulate outburst maybe.
1: <laughs> I love that. And that's that's another um tremendous example of what we touched on earlier. We have the stereotypical punk character but you see the graphics for the good life intro appear and then they actually have like the special effect of Vivian like tearing it down. Mm -hmm. So it's perfect for as stupid as the shit that Vivian kind of does week to week where he just smashes things for no reason screaming, I'm bored. (laughs) That's actually kind of a great moment of the alternative comedy punk kid shrieking about this stupid sitcom about middle-class people who get away from it all by living on a farm. That
0: and the visual metaphor of him breaking through the wall is definitely, it, it seems an apt metaphor for the young ones bursting onto the comedy scene. Yeah, And then also there's that fabulous moment where he eats the television. Okay. That's a fun one that also seems like it maybe has some symbolism there.
1: So that happens in Bomb. They've woken up and there's an atom bomb in the <laughs> kitchen that they don't really notice until maybe halfway through the episode. But- Rick finally realizes that they never pay their television license, and he gets really, really excited that he's an yes. outlaw, and then the TV license man appears at the door, and so... And he quickly changes his t- Quickly changes the tune, and Mike says, Vivian, quick,
0: eat the television. <laughs> and he's apparently always wanted to do that.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's pretty good. And Bomb is, is weird to watch now, because, I mean if this came out in 1982, the Cold War is very much happening and you've got these punk kids joking about an atom bomb showing up in in the kitchen and Rick decides that he wants to use it to barter with Thatcher and he has a list of demands for Margaret Thatcher and if she doesn't meet them, he's going to blow up the country. And Mike, meanwhile, decides, well, we could get some money for this and so he tries to call Gaddafi Mm -hmm. and Rick tries to call... Thatcher. And when I originally would have watched this in, what, 2003, it was just retro, oh, isn't that crazy? Bombs were relevant uh, sort of humor. And and, and watching it now, it was like, oh, this is actually a really nice release from the terror that I kind of live with again. Yeah,
0: you know, it's interesting how the context in which you watch something historically does change your viewpoint on it. And it kind of harkens back to what we were saying last week about Father Ted. And how, are you right there, Father Ted, Nazis weren't really having their the, the renaissance that they are currently having, at least not that I'm aware of. I don't think that they had a big heyday in uh, in 1990s Ireland, but certainly in present-day America, we're much more aware of the real threat that they pose, and obviously the same goes for the threat of nuclear war. Yeah. Oh, and back to Nazis. Again, there's, there's that great moment in the finale where there's the the black Hitler mailman? Yes, It's so weird, but I also find it very funny. (laughs) And I love that their exams, they were the worst in the world. Well, why does
1: the black Hitler mailman know what they all got on their exams? Well,
0: Hitler was a very immoral person, we can, or amoral person, we can agree on that. So I don't think that he would have the ethical fortitude to not open another person's mail. (laughs) If you're willing to exterminate millions of people, you're probably willing to sneak a peek at some report cards or exam results. That's creative. My logic checks out, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... This is the most sensible
1: thing I've said all night. I think they also probably just wanted that very startling, bizarre image, though, right? A- above, Yeah. Uh, yeah. But
0: that actor's very funny. <laughs> I, I love his delivery. And it-, it reminds me of what you were saying last week about how Brits do make fun of Hitler for being... European and for you know the the accent and the the whole look it it's very silly and cartoonish, right? Just forget the whole murder, mass murder, genocide factor. The other
1: thing about the European stuff, Alexei Sale has that line where he's talking about the hit song in Sweden, "Oof, Where's My Volvo," and the some a, a French song called like "Mr. Poo-Poo Goes to the Lavatory." <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> that was a good example of just the the euro bashing that they do
0: and also can we just state for the record once and for all toilet humor is funny that's a universal truth that we must acknowledge despite the fact that we are grown-ups we will forever at heart be young ones because bottoms and and farts are always gonna be hysterical i just said the words and stephanie's giggling like a schoolgirl. Because-
1: because I'm thinking about funny farts from my real life. And like, <laughs> oh my I, god. I
0: One of my favorite moments. I'm not going to tell a fart story. I'm going to tell a story about fart stories. One of the <laughs> okay. best times that I've ever visited my grandparents with all of the cousins. We were spending the weekend at my grandmother's house in New Jersey. And somehow at the breakfast table, we got into like an hour long discussion where we all just shared the best fart stories from our lives and from the lives of our friends and family. And it was one of the best conversations I've ever had in a group. It was, we were all just doubled over because it's, it's something that everybody does and everybody has a million fantastic fart tales. I've no doubt. Well,
1: it's like, it's kind of the quickest way to change the tone of an entire room, isn't it? Like, imagine... <laughs> and the smell. Imagine you're, like, asking someone for a divorce and then you fart. Like
0: that. <laughs> I actually, I, w- I will tell a story. I will tell a fart story from my real life. When I was in college, I took an acting class. And we were doing one of those you know, pretentious sense-memory exercises like they sing about in a chorus line where you have in to, And your like,
1: sense-memory was a
0: fort <laughs> <laughs> No, let me finish the story! <laughs> so, the assignment was that we had to, you know, pretend we had an empty cup and we had to pretend that we were sipping our favorite hot beverage. And so what this meant was that we had to sit through and watch 15 kids all pretend... It was the most boring day. And so... You know, this was an introductory acting class. I was a senior, but most of the people there were freshmen, and they were just talking and not paying attention, not taking it seriously. And then my acting teacher got up and, like, kind of called them out and not yelled, but spoke very firmly. You guys, this is work. Pay attention and give your fellow actors the courtesy and respect that they deserve. And then there was silence. And then during the next person's, there was a very, very loud fart, and it was just the
1: perfect
0: (laughs) the perfect counterpoint to her seriousness in delivering this lecture oh that's fantastic oh
1: god I I remember in first grade we were all sitting on the rug and our teacher read us a story and she closed that book and I farted (laughs) (laughs) she's like the end (laughs) could people tell it was you totally and i they all started laughing and i just like mean mugged them all like shut the fuck up i just said to fart i don't know you served
0: them some rick attitude here's some money (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i lost any friends over it or anything your true friends are the ones who will stick around you through your gas problems that's the litmus test of friendship to me (laughs) We've gotten so off topic. No, bottom humor you said is always funny and we were exploring that idea. Speaking of exploring bottoms, should we do fuck, marry, kill?
1: I have all of my answers written down and next to three out of four of them, I also have question marks, but I also kind of feel like it's the only way to go. So I'm curious to know what you think.
0: My tendency is always to go for the kill first because truly that is the... That's the decision that you can't take lightly. It's the only truly irreversible one. Marriage and sex don't last forever, but murder is forever. So I'm going to kill the person who's most violent, which is Vivian. Okay. I think I'd have to marry Neil because he would be sweet. He also is the only one in the house who ever tries to do any housework. So even though he's not necessarily good at cooking and cleaning, he at least tries. And you know what? I would love for him to make me some lentils as long as he didn't include any soap.
1: I also feel like as a hippie and as someone who, I, I assume maybe he's traveled, like we haven't, we haven't touched on Boomshanka yet, but you know, <laughs> the, the definition of it, like it's like kind of sexy. Like I feel like maybe with some patience, he could actually be decent at love making
0: oh yeah may the seed of his loins be fruitful in the belly of me his woman yeah if we're doing the fourth option is roommate I guess I'd, I'd probably fuck Rick like even though he's completely filthy and Mike is probably the cleanest of all of these four like we've seen Rick's underpants we know it's not pretty but as long as he's showered before I think that would be okay but I wouldn't want to live with him because he would just he gets so wound up so easily, and he'd be constantly yelling, whereas Mike would just be like having one of those roommates who's kind of always absent or very low-key. Having a roommate who's cool is probably the best option. So, yeah, that's my answer.
1: Yeah, no, I I have the same exact answer. I did for half a second consider fucking Mike instead. For hygiene reasons. For hygiene reasons. I think I would rather suffer through fucking Rick than having to live with him, because Mike's, like, roommate antics are always very... um. Subtle, like he will turn a room into a roller disco.
0: That's awesome. I would love for him to turn my room into a roller disco. Like,
1: that's fine with me.
0: But he's not going to board you up in your room.
1: No, he never did anything cruel or violent. I don't think he ever hit anybody either.
0: Did he ever hit anybody? Yeah, no. Yeah, He'd be a pretty chill roommate.
1: No, he'd, he'd be a chill roommate, and if he were operating a roller disco and bringing in some more money, that's fine. Totally. However, do I really want to have sex with Rick?
0: I mean, yes. Oh, well, I, I the have character sex with or the Rick. actor?
1: I would love to have sex with
0: an alive, young Rick Mayall. Well, get in line, sister. Um, <laughs> no, but for me, I think it's actually both the character and the actor. And here's how I know that. One of my favorite moments in the whole show is when they all switch roles in Bambi. Mm-hmm. And you see them all playing each other's characters. And I am more attracted to Nigel as the character Rick than I am to him when he's playing Neil, and also than I am to Rick, R I K Rick playing Vivian. Got so it. I think that I think that there is a part of me that's kind of attracted to the character of Rick, and that's a that's a convenient tool for helping to parse which thing is which, because it can be sometimes confusing just to, to figure out what the source of your attraction is when watching fiction.
1: Okay, well, because I would never fuck Vivian, but. I do like Vivian playing Mike. I think that's kind of hot.
0: Oh, yeah. And also, can we talk about their outfits? Because that's obviously a moment where we get to see them all trading fashion. Yes. I really love the costumes on this show and how they all have their single uniform. Except that Rick actually does have a couple different looks. He has those fantastic yellow overalls, which I just adore. In addition to his usual black blazer with the pins, which I would totally fucking wear. Mm -hmm. That would be the easiest Halloween costume ever. Ooh. And I kind of, I like Mike's fashion, but again, he seems so old. It's not just that the actor was older than a college student. It's that the vibe of his character feels like he's in his 40s or 50s. Or it's like a throwback to what a cool person was in a prior decade. Mm Mm-hmm. No, (laughs) And when he first shows up, isn't he wearing like a golf uniform? He just seems like a retiree. No,
1: he does because it's not just that he's in like a suit. He's often in like plaid pants with a sweater vest over another shirt it's a serious outfit and retiree is correct that is that is often what he looks like
0: I love Vivian's look I love the stars on his forehead what
1: are the stars on Vivian's forehead and on the back of his little denim vest I know it says very metal but on the front does it say love you dead I know I wrote it down I apologize for the page turning yeah it's love you dead
0: and here's another reason that I know that I am Neil is that I fucking love flares I am so ready for them to make a comeback and for skinny jeans to die because that trend has been reigning supreme for like the last decade and a half and I'm sick of it bring back flares has it been a decade and a half maybe just a decade it was like mid-aughts
1: but do you remember when flares were around but then they just kind of got lower and lower to the point where your your hoo-ha was hanging out remember that yeah remember when the hip huggers were became like mons pubis huggers yeah I
0: mean that was that was definitely in the 90s but if fashion goes in 20 year cycles then we are definitely due for a comeback but ideally like a high-waisted one like I want some good sailor pants or like bell bottoms that have a high waist that's that's my dream yeah
1: high-waisted flares it seems like that would just naturally be the next thing
0: I just I love I love 70s fashion and like a man in bell bottoms and like a good pea coat, like bud court in Harold and Maude That's like such a well, that's like my perfect fashion era for men and women alike. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, Neil was behind the times, but also ahead of his time. It is funny how much grief they give Neil for his pants.
1: Well, there's actually a Sex Pistols lyric where Johnny Rotten sings, We don't care about long hair. I don't wear flares.
0: And it's... That's a false rhyme and I do not approve of any part of it. It's punk, Kaylee. I know, I have a musical theater background, Stephanie. <laughs> We're just too different to be friends.
1: But it's great that that's a line from a song that got people really fired up and they're able to then kind of take it and contort it so that it just sounds like a stupid little, oh, you're stupid because you have flared pants on. Because that's what it is. Yeah. Because it's just a bunch of sniveling little fuckheads being punks.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah, and that's, again, something about how young these characters are, the way that they care so much about the shallow things, like liking the same music and having the same fashion. And, you know, those really are the litmus tests that you have when you're quite young for whether or not someone's cool enough to be in your friend group.
1: Now, speaking of tests, I know that we brought up that Vivian is a is a med student. But can we talk about everybody else's majors? Because I feel like Vivian's they bring up, Rick mentions sociology. Mm -hmm. So she sociology. Mm -hmm. Neil, the the only thing you ever see is that during the opening credits, he's standing in the library. And you can see that he's in the Asian studies section, Mm -hmm. which which I guess makes sense. But what the hell is Mike doing?
0: I was hoping you would know that because you've obviously seen this show a lot more than I have. I Well,
1: because I don't know. in the intro, it kind of shows him paying somebody off to be handed a diploma. Yeah. So it's like, has he already graduated?
0: Clearly, he graduated 40 years ago. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm wondering. Yeah, no, he really, he doesn't, he doesn't seem like a young one, as I've said several times. Yeah. A great quote from Lisa Mayer in the documentary was when she was talking about how they kind of are like a little sitcom family where Mike is the dad Neil is the mom, and then Rick and Viv are, like, the little kids always bickering with Rick as the little girl. Yeah. Case in point, he has a dress. <laughs> no, that was a great,
1: a great, that was a great quote. Yes. <laughs> she also had that other quote that kind of broke my heart, though, when oh, she yeah. said that when when Rick and eight are 90, they're still going to be writing jokes about bottoms.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, that was really heartbreaking. But they can't do that. Oh, and I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on his death very much um because i don't think that it's as integral a part of the show as say uh dermot morgan's death is to father ted where it actually influenced the outcome of the show like rick Mayle definitely died tragically young and in very recent memory but this was a show that long preceded that and he did get to do a number of other things with his life afterwards but for me this was bittersweet because it was my first time watching it since he died and since there is so much death and, and maiming and mayhem on the show, it's it was a little bit sad. Uh, yeah. I mean, death is always sad, especially when people go so young.
1: That's interesting because I, I didn't even have that thought until Summer Holiday. I was watching The Young Ones and I didn't even think twice about the, the reality of Rick Mayall. I was just completely lost in R.I.C.K. Yeah. I think also with the Dermot Morgan thing... There's more than one reference to heart attacks, specifically yeah,
0: specific, yeah. in
1: Father Ted, whereas there really aren't in the young ones. In in the young ones, whenever Rick is like threatened with physical harm, it's because he's about to jack off to Cosmopolitan, and a saw appears between his legs. So that doesn't exactly.
0: <laughs> no, you're you're right. It's, since it's not as grounded in the real world, and since they do suffer so much bodily harm that should kill them but in a way that they're they're immortal like the finale ends with them all driving off a cliff and then the bus that they've hijacked exploding it's like the end of pumpkin (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i'm not even gonna say anything else just listeners if you enjoy terrible funny movies go rent pumpkin and thank us later (laughs) i will just say that it it defies all logic and all reason, and that Christina Ricci's nipples are visible in just about every scene, even through her overcoat. It is disturbing and also kind of a miracle. What the hell was I talking about? Oh I'm right, so at the end of the show. <laughs> it summer all summer day. Anyway, they drive off a cliff and the car explodes. And it says the young ones were instead of the young ones are. So it's they're very clearly meant to be dead, but also. You know, a few episodes earlier, we see Vivian get decapitated. So I think that if he can survive that, and also they—they they frequently get their heads impaled with spikes or or other weapons. I, the ending doesn't bother me, and make me sad in the same way that, say, the ending of Father Ted does, because like they're fine. They're they're gonna live and be young forever. In in my my take on their fictional world,
1: I'm completely with you because let's not forget, like in Bambi there is that cutaway that reveal that there's a scientist that's actually looking at the young ones on a slide because they are human beings the size of amoebas and then at the end of that episode a giant chocolate eclair crushes them and then the eclair gets fed to an elephant so i'm not too upset over a bus crash <laughs> yeah god that would be quite the prop to own like, was that ever auctioned off? Oh my Who the fuck has the eclair or oh the sandwich god. or SPG or
0: anything? I would make the sandwich my couch. <gasps> Are there, like,
1: SPGs on Etsy? I'm <gasps> gonna look that up. I want a fucking SPG so bad.
0: Oh my god. I should get Jama to make us SPG pins. My sister Jama is a wonderful artist, and depending on when we release this particular episode, she either has or will design our merchandise, so uh, stay tuned for more information Wait, but it'll be like
1: fluffy? It'll be like a fluffy, fat, like, SPG hamster that I can pin onto myself?
0: I don't think so. It would be enamel, but your imagination could make it fluffy. (laughs) It's going to be awesome.
1: SPG, yeah, Special Patrol Group is Vivian's pissed-off Scottish hamster, who also suffers a lot of physical abuse before finally dying well, spg definitely dies because we yeah. see him go to heaven
0: and we see yeah. vivian cry and that's like the one really truly human vulnerable moment that we see from him which makes me love him all the more yeah but spg is definitely my favorite puppet as, as i said before the puppets are sort of my least favorite part of it one i'm gonna make a weird analogy here which is that all of the the weird random things like with the puppets and the, the cutaways to other things I don't really like that stuff, but I will say that I appreciate that it's there because you know, it adds to the the whimsical childlike nature of the show and it kind of reminds me of the marshmallow bits in Lucky Charms where I, unpopular opinion, I only like the regular cereal, I hate the marshmallows, but I understand and appreciate that they add color and texture to a bowl and so I'm glad that they're there even if they're not my particular cup of tea. Does that make sense? Okay, first of all, the marshmallows and lucky
1: charms are. Uh, I really
0: don't uh, know where you're going with this sentence.
1: <laughs> I can't even say what. What? You don't like the marshmallows in Lucky Charms? I told
0: you it was an unpopular opinion. What do you want from me? I'm a grown-up. I like my cereal to not be glow-in-the-dark. Oh, what do you want from
1: me? I'm a grown-up. Okay. Why are you even (laughs) buying the Lucky Charms and picking out the part you don't like, you grown-up? I never bought them.
0: They were at friends' houses. Stop picking on me. (laughs) Okay. You know what? Wow. I also don't like the cream in the Oreos. Come at me. I only like the cookie. <laughs> I could have a symbiotic relationship with many junk food eaters. Do
1: you also not like the peanut butter and the peanut butter and jelly?
0: No, I only like the peanut butter. Okay. Fuck jelly. Wow. This is, this is an illuminating conversation that we may have just created a
1: rift between us. <laughs> oh my No, I just um wow. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Because I, I'm the opposite. I'm one of the people who's like, when the fuck are they just going to release, like, a limited edition that's just the marshmallows? And I can just eat a bowl of marshmallows and go into
0: a coma. Hey, Steph, coma. you want to split a bowl of Lucky Charms sometime when we're on the same coast? <gasps> yes! Okay, we that's should also we'll discuss do. Oh which Starburst you like best. We'll talk later. <laughs>
1: it's not pink.
0: Okay, I'll take your pinks. <laughs> See, this is why we're friends. <laughs> We compliment each other. Speaking of you wanting to take my pinks. Oh, Jesus Christ, go on.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: what do you think a
1: perfect young one's porn would actually look like?
0: Um, I think it would have to be just the four guys with maybe occasional appearances from puppets but like I don't even though there are some really fantastic female guest stars like Jennifer Saunders and Dawn French and Emma Thompson I think that it would be the most fun if it was just just the boys the bachelor boys getting it on together
1: (laughs) there is that one moment in in cash though when it's snowing outside and the guys are doing everything they can to you know find some fuel to burn a fire to keep them Mm -hmm. warm and Vivian keeps going to that neighbor and saying hello I am your neighbor that almost seems like a yes. perfect setup for a sexual um exchange in, in a porn world
0: <laughs> but you know what's an even more perfect setup is when Alexi the vampire is chasing them and they all need to lose their virginity in order to not be targeted by a vampire just just an orgy right there because Vivian even has that line in that episode Michael and I are going to indulge in an all-night orgy of sex and violence that's just hot I mean I think which pairs who do you ship within this foursome? Well, Vivian really just dreams of sucking Mike's dick. I do not disagree. <laughs> here's here's the thing actually, he's the only one who calls him Michael, and I think that sometimes mm-hmm. we have a tendency consciously or not to either shorten or lengthen our beloved's names, you know?
1: Dude, what if they have had sex? What if like off-screen They've, like, been boning this entire time, which is why Mike is teaching Vivian how to read a
0: watch. Is that a requirement for teaching someone how to tell time? That's a wildly problematic assumption, Stephanie.
1: No, 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 no. Hear me out. I'm not okay. That was a that was a clumsy way of saying it. (laughs) It sure as fuck was. I don't know. Have you ever seen you know Viva Zapata or the fucking movie where Jane Fonda teaches Robert De Niro how to read? It's all teaching to read. No, but have you ever been taught to
0: read or to tell time? (laughs) It was probably by your parents who didn't
1: have sex with you. No, but if I needed to learn it now, maybe I would have sex with my teacher. I'm so glad you said teacher. With whoever was teaching me in the case of Robert De Niro would be the sexy Jane Fonda's gonna teach me to read. Of course I'm gonna fuck her. What the fuck is it? <laughs> I'm, okay. Okay, my point was there is an implied intimacy there. Yeah. They have they have been having activities behind the scenes to which we've not been privy, and
0: maybe it includes sex. Telling time is that's a big leap. I don't that's a really baby pillow me. talk. That's the <laughs> lamest pillow talk I've ever heard of. Hey baby, let me teach you how to read an I, analog watch. Well, I guess. It's a display
1: of intimacy that maybe just because I'm very frustrated I want to think of them having sex.
0: I mean, I would, I would watch that tape, let's be honest. I would watch any of the tapes between any of the two of them or three of them or four of them. But then that, leaves, then that leaves Rick and Neil and you know that Rick really doesn't want to have sex with Neil. But that's also the tape that I would most want to watch.
1: That's the tape that I would most want to watch. Who do you think Neil has sex with?
0: I feel like I feel like Vivian would be the only one who wouldn't necessarily deny anybody else. He makes out with his hamster. He would definitely bone Neil if if push came to shove. Maybe it's more like
1: Mr. Bolofsky comes in and makes Neil jack him off. <laughs>
0: oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Oh, I'm sorry that I crossed a line. <laughs> no, no, no. It just, That That just, like, for some reason, this was all theoretical in my mind until, like, that <laughs> planted a very specific visual in my brain. I don't know why that was the thing that made it real.
1: <laughs> okay, fine. Mr. Bolovsky person makes Neil teach him how to tell time. Is that nicer? Oh, my nicer? God.
0: Can that be a new euphemism? Like, mm. The big hand and the small hand. It's a quarter to sex. Oh. Oh, I like that. I am not the first person to make that joke, and I will not be the last. Oh, I don't know that I've ever heard quarter to sex. I've heard sex o'clock, I think that's what it is. sex o'clock. I just turned it back 15 minutes, because I'm an early bird. (laughs) I don't know what that means in a sexual context. I just am compulsively early in my life, period.
1: I don't know how to better explain why I feel like the telling the time moment. Because you know what it is? They look like a, they almost look like an old couple or something. <laughs> That's because Mike looks old. The way that Mike like leans over to him and there's, it's across the kitchen table. And is there even like a
0: newspaper? It just, it just looks tender to me. I don't know. And Mike's very nice to him. I Oh, wait. Okay. Going back to what I said before about how Vivian would totally be the one who fucks Neil. When Neil is wearing Rick's dress. He totally, like, cops a feel and is ogling him the whole time. Basically, anyone who put on a dress... Oh, my God, he's like the homoerotic laundromat bully and Mr. Bean!
1: <laughs> Call back! That's amazing. Well, Vivian ogles Neil when Neil's in the dress the same way that he ogles Jennifer Saunders when she comes oh, downstairs. Yeah.
0: Like, I think he's just attracted to dresses, not even women. Oh, wow.
1: Oh, wow! Yeah. Wow.
0: He's a dress sexual. (laughs) I was also going to
1: say in the episode Bambi, when Bambi is a man, but he is a deer.
0: You know what that makes me think of? The Little Prince. Have you seen the movie of The Little Prince? I've seen the Gene
1: Wilder part.
0: That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Or also with Bob Fosse as a snake. They're just regular men wearing clothes that are the colors of the animals they represent.
1: That's totally like what it is. That's
0: such a sweet... I love that movie. Go on.
1: But I love that Bambi's career was on the rocks, so we made a Disney nasty <laughs> that Vivian has seen. Bambi goes crazy, at bonkers with his
0: drill and sex. <laughs> so good. That sounds like one of the weird Mr. Bean clips that you found. Oh my god! It totally does! Maybe, <laughs> Maybe like, Ben Elton was the one who wrote those clips. Bambi goes crazy. Conspiracy in. theory. With his drill
1: and sex. <laughs> yeah, that's totally like... Russia 69. Of had... <laughs> yeah, 69 at
0: the end of it for no reason. Oh my fucking God, you're
1: right. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. All right, so cash. Should should we talk cash a little bit? Yes,
0: let's talk cash. One of my favorite scenes, perhaps, in all of sitcom history is the perfection of them writing the letter to Neil's bank manager asking for more money.
2: Dear bank manager. <laughs> yeah? Well, that's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite pleased with it so far, though. Oh, well, it's a strong opening, certainly. I don't like the dear. Sounds a bit too much like, will you go to bed with me? Well, <laughs> <A bit> <laughs> uh, what do you think instead? Uh, what about darling? Well, uh, <laughs> darling uh, bank manager. Uh, no, 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 not bank manager. It's far too crawly bum-leck. <laughs> Tell it like it is. Put fascist bully boy. <laughs> Darling fascist bully boy. That's nice. Yeah, so far so good. So what do you want to say? Well, basically, I want to ask him if I can have, like, an extension on my overdraft, but I know there must be a better way of putting it than that. Well, what about, uh give me some more money? Right. You, you bastard! You don't you think that's a bit strong? Ah, uh, Neil, people like that respect strength. Yeah, you're right. Uh, darling fascist bully boy, give me some more money, you bastard. <laughs> uh love, Neil. <laughs> Neil, that sounds far too much like, come and get it like a bitch, funky sex machine. Yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, what about yours sincerely? Oh, come off it, Neil. If you're going to be that sycophantic, why don't you go around there now and stick your tongue straight down the back of his trousers? <laughs> oh, no, no, I know, I know. Uh, why not, why not put boom Shanker? Ah, uh, that's hard to tell, Neil. What does it mean? It means may the seed of your loin be fruitful in the belly of your woman. (laughs) (laughs) ah ha! And what makes you think your back manager's a man? His beard. (laughs) He'll never understand boomshanker. You'll have to write the whole thing out. Right, okay, here we go. Darling fascist bully boy, (laughs) give me some more money, you bastard. May the seed of your loin be fruitful in the belly of your woman. (laughs) Neil. Well, if that doesn't work, I don't know what will.
0: I mean, that's just, that's comedy writing perfection. The rest of us should all just give up now because, because that's, what what else? How are you going to build on that? How many surfaces did I write
1: Boomshanka on when I was in, in high school and college? Like,
0: I don't even know. I was going to say, I do not have a single high school yearbook or birthday <laughs> card from Stephanie that did not close with Boomshanka, Steph.
1: Okay, do you think it's two words, Boom Shanka What do you think? Or do you yeah. think it's Boomshanker, but they're pronouncing it Shanka?
0: I'm pretty sure it's it's Boomshanka. Everything that I've seen of it written out online is... Yeah.
1: Capital B-O-O-M. New word, capital S-H-A-N-K-A. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: With me teaching you how to spell this, do you think that our listeners are going to suspect that we're having sex? <laughs> just pointing out how ridiculous your theory is <laughs> it, it, it's
1: just proof that they have a little behind the scenes thing that they do together in private and that might also be sex <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm never gonna live down the telling time sex thing it's okay i'm never gonna live down hating the marshmallows in lucky charms so we're even you're right we each we traded hostages tonight yeah just like you want to take my pinks oh my god (laughs) we've gotten really nasty tonight but what did you expect we're talking about the young ones and uh content dictates form oh my goodness I have I took such copious notes on this show and then they all just went to hell.
1: No, there they, we've actually um we we've covered a lot of it but here's a note I highlighted Rick Mayall is king of unflattering trousers.
0: <laughs> I don't notice his trousers
1: it was in bomb where he puts on like the camo garb and marches to the dhss thinking that oh yes are some deeply unflattering
0: trousers yep 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 but that that kind
1: of remains his style when he and Aide edmondson then do bottom interesting His, his character richie is always wearing trousers that like go up to his nipples i'm sure we'll discuss that at a later date as well i don't doubt it oh you know what when we talked earlier about um moments that always make us laugh we did yep. not mention Nigel and Rick as the lounge singers.
0: Oh yeah, that's an example of a very successful cutaway that does go on a little bit longer than just a quick one-off. In the vein of mm-hmm. the the Dallas opening of Time, I love them. They're just, they're th- those two especially can do no wrong. I would watch those actors do just about anything. But it's great because, I mean, you and I
1: didn't grow up watching shows like the one that they're lampooning. I, it's not. like I don't know what they're doing but they've they've obviously tapped into like something in the American zeitgeist that is universally understood yeah. of like slimy rich white guys delivering lines with that little wink mm-hmm. and then wearing and wearing cheesy outfits and delivering one-liners that don't make any sense <laughs> like they they nailed that it's like i feel like i've seen this even though i know i literally never have you
2: remember that song you used to sing before he got shot in the neck <laughs> you want to sing that song right here on my show hey. well, dino I, I love to but hey i never sing in slacks no problem With <laughs> the little dino magic Hey Dino, I understand that you have a dog That is right Tell me Dino, what are you doing with this dog these days? I'm tying my dog to the railroad track Uh Uh-huh Choo-choo train's gonna break his back We used to call him Spot Yeah, yeah, but now he's called Splat That's That's the the kind kind of person we are Oh baby, won't you come home with me?
0: And again with the dead dogs. Dead dogs and Nazis. They're the two common threads running through all of the things that we love. (gasps) Oh my God, Stephanie. That's the name of our book. When this podcast becomes a massive success, that's the book we're going to write and it will sell zero copies (laughs) in the United States. You are probably correct about that. Oh, you know, we haven't talked about um, potential American equivalents.
1: Oh, let's talk about American (gasps) equivalents.
0: Yeah. Because here's the thing is that Obviously, every show that we're talking about is peerless, but this one, I don't even, I can't think of a tonal companion that exists that is not animated. I was just going
1: to say the same thing.
0: Honestly, I think that maybe the closest actually would be Pee Wee Herman. I know that we talked about that in the context of Mr. Bean, but in terms of the the animation and the puppets, it's like Pee Wee Herman meets like, I don't know, Ren and Stimpy or something. Or like Rocco's Modern Life. Something that's more edgy and definitely for grown-ups or teens or tweens.
1: Or like Wienerville. Remember Wienerville?
0: Wienerville. Oh my god. Yeah. You just awakened a part of my childhood that had been dormant for decades. you Wiener. Oh. Hey now. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I don't know why I said that. You know what? I actually remember the boy that I had a crush on in first grade was talking about Wienerville and I hadn't heard about the show. And he said, I watch Wienerville because I have a wiener. And I was like, yeah, I'll bet you do. I didn't say that out loud, but I thought it. And then I watched Wienerville because I was my, my interest was piqued.
1: Mm. Go on. <laughs> it's funny because when you said, I can't think of an equivalent that isn't animated, I immediately thought of Ren and Stimpy and Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah. And now we're talking Wienerville and even Pee Wee Herman definitely to a point. It's like They're all kids some kids kind shows. of... Some kind of 90s kid shows, but they were also kind of anarchic Absolutely. in their own right. Ren and Stimpy and Rocco were disgusting.
0: They were really shows written by adults for themselves that just yeah. happened to pass the censors and be marketed to kids. Mm-hmm. But they weren't really kids shows. Like We obviously loved them, but so much zoomed right over our heads. I mean, choky Chicken, hello. The choky Chicken, oh my
1: god. I love Rocco so much. is um, the best, man. And also, when it comes to the live action ones, a- am I correct in remembering that in the middle of Wienerville, there would be like a five-minute cartoon?
0: There would be puppet shows. Remember Boney the dinosaur that was like, Leave
1: me alone. Eh? Yes. Yeah.
0: Oh, that was fantastic. He was totally the SPG of, of that world. But
1: would they not spin a wheel and then a cartoon would play? And it was like, that's almost like the musical break in The Young Ones is when they would do yeah. the, the cartoon.
0: Yeah, the fact that this was you know marketed or budgeted rather as variety rather than comedy, they did have a sort of more loosey goosey way of doing things that you definitely don't see in any American sitcoms at all. But I'm trying to think, like if they were to adapt it, I know that they did, they were going to adapt it with uh, with Nigel Planer being the only one from the original cast to come over, and he was so relieved that it didn't go because it would have been such hell to be stuck doing this thing, trying to recreate magic and capture lightning in a bottle that had already worked so successfully. And similarly with Faulty Towers, they knew when to get off. You know, they they had their two perfect seasons and then they stopped before it started to get tired and old. And there was something that Rick Mail said in the documentary about how we knew that we couldn't sustain the trick of being surprising forever. And th- that was what was so great about it was that it was surprising and new and you can only sustain that for so long.
1: I remember that quote. It's a good point. Yeah. So yeah, American equivalents, like who do you think they would cast if they were going to remake this, if they were
0: going to do a straight to Netflix reboot? <laughs> uh, Chris Hemsworth, another callback. Um, <laughs> it's I'm feeling very callbacky Hemsworth. today for some reason. I think it's because I've been editing all the other episodes. So they're all fresh on my mind. Um, I was thinking earlier, I didn't think about any of the other roles besides Mike, but I was thinking about what a difficult thing it is to have a straight man be funny. And I was thinking who could be someone who's, who's good at being funny and cool. And like, these people are definitely too old now. Not that that stopped Mike. I'm going to stop making Mike his old jokes. They're getting
1: old. I was just going to say, I think it should be Henry Winkler. I was
0: going to say, yeah, absolutely. I think it should be Henry Winkler doing Fonzie, but now. I think that Henry Winkler as the Fonz sort of epitomizes cool, but funny, Uh which is a very hard balance to strike. And that's why he's such a legend. I don't know about any of the other roles, so I didn't think that far ahead.
1: I mean, this is probably the kind of thing that James Franco is just dying to co-op and cast himself in all the rules
0: oh yeah i'm thinking of like the whole judd apatow crowd yeah they're not really young anymore though they're all like in their late 30s early 40s
1: that's true god time's a bastard
0: yes it is a bastard. (laughs)
1: I love the conversation between Rick and Vivian in Flood when Rick is discussing civil rights and peace and freedom and everyone being equal. And Vivian immediately wants to equate that with homosexuality and he calls it being puffy. And Rick is doing a really good job of defending like... Peace and freedom has nothing to do with being puffy, but Vivian just insists, no, it's puffy. And I think that that is an argument that people are having in the United States at this very moment.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's much of this has become surprisingly timely again. Yeah.
1: Especially when it comes to civil rights issues or the political correctness issue and having sensitivity for a group of people who have been, you know, victimized for centuries, it's like, right. oh, that's gay. Yeah, no,
0: calling them snowflakes is the ironically more politically correct version of calling them poofy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was just something I wanted to bring up because it's, it's just a funny conversation between two young actors who are saying funny things, but it's also very real. And I know that last week, We talked about Father Ted and we talked about how it might be easy to look at it on the surface and see it as a silly show about priests who have a house full of bunny rabbits and they Mm -hmm. say silly stuff, but beneath the surface, it's actually fiercely intelligent and very sharp and very Mm -hmm. biting. And I think the same is true here. Yeah, there are teddy bears having sex and vampires that are driving instructors from Johannesburg, but there are so many lines about thatcher and how it's back to victorian values and there's the kids police brutality is a major theme throughout the show and Mm -hmm. yeah i think that they really accomplished a lot in these in these 12 episodes while also leaving room for giant sandwiches
0: no i agree it's something that as i said it it can grow up with the viewer there's something for you to love as a child, there's something for you to love as a teenager and then as a college student and then as a 30-something and 40-something and beyond until you get to however old Mike is. That's my last one, I swear. Um, but yeah, the, the best art does evolve along with the viewer or the reader or the listener or what have you, and it can have an impact for, for the rest of your life and stay relevant depending on both where you are in your personal life and where you are in history. And I think that this show has held up astonishingly well.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Me too.
0: Yeah, and it's very... Like you said, it's very anarchic and and edgy and like adolescently rebellious. And it's just it's just so fucking cool. You know,
1: in one of the documentaries that we watch, there's there's a great kind of closing line from, you know, a, a grown up Rick Mayall where he talks about the attitude they had when they made the show. And I think it sums everything up perfectly, both their intention and what we talked about with the having the cake and eating it, too. He says,
2: but there's no plan. Except have a good fucking time. My my language. But I don't care because I'm a punk.
1: <laughs> and that, that cute little smile he gives and the way that he kind of smirks when he says, but I don't care because I'm a punk. It's like he's half kidding, but he's also completely serious. And I think it's a beautiful way to sum up exactly what they did.
0: Yeah, I think that's a wonderful note to end on. <laughs> So thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, We've we've had a blast watching this show, and I hope that you have as well. Next week, we're going to be discussing Blackadder. I am so excited about that, but I'm also bewildered by it. I don't think I've ever seen all of it. You know, I don't think I have either. I don't think I've ever seen the entire first season, because my mom hated it so much that she might not have even owned it or certainly didn't show it anyway we'll, we'll talk about all that next week but yeah you should watch blackadder even the first season which is admittedly the weakest one
1: okay well i'll be prepared for that i suppose but oh it gets so good in later seasons
0: anyway uh i think i know what we're both gonna say to close out the show should we say it on the count of three? One, one two, three. three. boom Shaker! <laughs> good night america Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Anglophilia on iTunes. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at anglopodcast. Toodle pip. What you call me?